The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 191 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the membership director for Wealth Builders, and it's good to be back with you again today. And today's topic is pensions, and we'll be digging into the archives of some of our uh, pension related episodes from the last four years of Wealth Talk. And we'll be pulling out all sorts of different aspects, including lost pensions, the difference between a SIP versus a SAS, and how a SAS can be a fantastic tool to build your wealth and leave a lasting legacy for your family. So we're kicking off today with Kevin and myself discussing some of the problems with pensions back in episode 128. And actually, I think pensions are fundamentally broken. I really do, Chris. I think the whole concept behind pensions is flawed. Um, Historically, we've had the final salary pension, And the final salary pension is just really now the domain of the public sector, the armed forces, the, you know, my son-in-law who's a fireman, uh, you know, people in that sort of industry. And and fair play, you know, that's a government pot. And there's no money to back that up. It's future taxpayers who are paying. But when you think about that, that's a good benefit to have for two reasons. The first reason is it's, it's an automatic income linked to your salary. So so you don't have the risk of trying to manage the process. So you can just do the work and build up your years of contribution. However, you need to put in 40 years just to get two-thirds out. Well, I don't think our wealth-building plan is predicated on dropping your income by a third and waiting 40 years to get it. I mean, I think that's flawed. But the other thing is, and, and, and that's just very dangerous for people Uh, to think about if they don't know is the pension often dies with the person who built it. In other words, usually there's 50% transferred to a spouse. So if someone's got a 40 grand pension, 20,000 is going to go to a spouse. Now all of a sudden the spouse or partner is now going to live on significantly less without having necessarily the knowledge because they assumed they were being taken care of. And then the children essentially become disinherited because on the death of the spouse, the money goes. Um, you know, so so there's no value in the family. And I just think this is flawed. And if people don't realize that, families in the next generation, rather than being empowered and wealth being created for them, and then them being included in the thinking and building wisdom, as we know, is so important. In, in building wealth for families, that's all lost. And that's tragic. And that's the best you're going to get. That's the best in this country, you know? So yeah. it's, a, it's a real big issue for me. And, and I think the, the huge transfer of risk from the employer or the public sector to the individual. In other words, all of the risk now, pretty much all the big companies, transfer the risk of managing retirement planning to the individual, but the individual doesn't take that responsibility. Mm. They delegate it to a third party in a one day, someday, I hope everything works out. And of course, we know single point of failure, having all your eggs in a stock market basket 
when the stock market is volatile, when it's, you think about what we do in Wealth Builders, we try and encourage people to think of their security. We try and get them to think about owning assets so they own something that's secure. When you've got a traditional pension, we're just rising and falling on the whims of a market over which you've got zero control. And you, and you think that somehow that's secure. It's fundamentally unsecure. And how the hell then, when you get older, are you supposed to manage drawing a secure, steady flow of income from an asset that itself is fundamentally insecure? You can't do it. So you live a life almost continually in worry, in doubt, in fear. And that's what's happening to our current pensioners. Look at your pension history. Look at where you've been, where you've worked. Uh, so you've got an opportunity to, if you've got your national insurance number and you can have a look at where you used to work, there's probably some money there. I mean, we've got lots of examples of finding money for people or helping people discover money they they didn't realise they had or forgotten or lost or just got disconnected. And, and apparently, you know, we've written an article on this before, Chris, there's like 10 billion pounds, billion. You know, we're not talking about uh, small potatoes here. We're talking about 10 billion of pension money floating in the ether. Uh, well, actually, technically, it's not floating because guess who's getting the profit from it? Um, and it's not the members. It's not the people who own the money. It's the in- industry um, that, that basically is keeping the profit. And, and if the money never gets repatriated, it gets kept. So, you know, we want that money to go back to the real and genuine owners of that money. So number one, take stock. Number two, find out what are you paying in fees? You know, there's a plethora of fees, fund manager charges, advisory charges, uh, custodian charges, transactional charges, something we call the total expense ratio or TER. Just find out whoever's managing the money, um, maybe they won't be managing it for much longer, but they're managing it now. What's my TER? What am I paying? And then do the maths. Have a look at it and go, well, hang on a minute. You know, and if you're paying very small amounts of money, which should be somewhere in the region of 0.2, 0.3, maybe maximum 0.5, you know, half a percent, significantly lower than two. If it's lower than one, it's not too bad. If it's more than one, it's too high. And if it's more than one and a half, it's way, way, way too high. And in any event, you know, that's just doing one thing. That's just finding out your fees. And we can show you the impact of those fees that will be taking money from you in the long term, taking money from your income because it's money you won't be able to spend and taking money from your legacy. You know, it's, you, you, get, you get whacked three times. You know, there's just a real problem here. You're losing money from your retirement nest egg you, that means you've got less money to spend to generate income, which means you've got less money to leave if you care about leaving a legacy. And all of those things are quite fundamental, which is why we like people to take stock. It's boring, it's routine, it's, but it's, it needs to be done. And I encourage everybody to do that. And we have a team of people who can help if people um, are willing to get it done, but don't know where to start or don't know how to do that. I understand it's really valuable to get benefits from an employer. I think it's great if the, and, and of course it's a legal obligation now, there has to be contributions. Um, so if you're paying 
and your employer's paying 5%, you're doubling up on your money, and that's great. And you can invest in two different strategies. You could say, I'll invest my money in strategy A and my, my employer's money in strategy B. So you've got two different things to compare and contrast. You could do that. You could, if you wanted to, get to a place where you um, you look at something called um, a partial transfer. Now, I'm not suggesting people do anything, but you could find out, which is if I wanted to, and I've got, let's use 100,000, what's the minimum amount of money I need to leave in that scheme? Well, let's say it's 5,000 pounds. Okay. So now you've got 95,000. You could completely remove from the workplace pension and put it into another pension if that pension served you better and uh, and it worked for you. And again, that could be uh, a different type of pension or it could be just a different strategy within the same one. Uh, but most employers are not actively helping people to understand these choices because that's not their role, is it? You know, you've got to be responsible for yourself. And we've got many, many hundreds of clients who take their money out of their workplace pensions. They don't lose the benefit, but they use that money elsewhere, whether they create a, a SIP or a SAS. A SIP is a self-invested personal pension, so it's a personal pension with only really one extra dynamic to it, which is commercial property. And commercial property isn't, isn't for everyone. Um, but that's an option. And the other, of course, which we've spoken about many, many times, for those who are eligible, business owners, not employees, but business owners, then they're eligible for something known as a SAS. And we've we've talked about SAS probably many, many times. And, and certainly there's lots of podcasts and, and lots of resources on SAS. And we know that the SAS turns a pension into a business and a business owner is taking responsibility and they run their pension like they run their business. And, and I love SAS for that reason. And it's the very thing that got me kind of changing my pension life myself when I kind of wrestled with this from 2008. And first of all, tried to sip. That didn't work because it was still restrictive. And then discovered SAS and realized the power of that. And now I'm a very enthusiastic advocate of SAS for those who are willing to get involved willing to learn what it takes to in, in terms of running, um, learning their own investor DNA so they know what they're interested in for themselves. It's not more delegation. And, and those who've got a business and are, are willing to get their hands on their money and to build a plan that eventually also includes their children so that the whole idea of SAS is a family uh, plan, you know, a YFA, you know, it's your family's assets, not an IFA. I, I look after your money. Did you know there are 1.6 million lost pension pots in the UK worth nearly £20 billion? And those remain unclaimed, according to research from the PPI, which is the Pensions Policy Institute. Well, in episode 17, we invited some Wealth Builder members to share their experience of following the process of recovering a lost pension. And wow, well, there's some big results. It's definitely the asset that the vast majority of the population, you know, use to build their wealth upon. You know, it's the one they know they're going to draw income from. Uh, but they're ill-equipped to know how the income conversion works. So I'm going to try and break the myth of the stock market is the only way to do that. When you can invest in business, you can invest in property, you can become a bank and, and take the same profit that banks do 
uh, in the same way that banks do with security, with good rates of interest. There's so many ways that people can, can take uh, that, that control. And, and we'll, we've got lots of clients who will give evidence of, of how they've done that as well to bring it to life rather than just hear the theory. It's to hear people who've taken the lessons on board and done dramatic things, including, <clears throat> dare I say it, Chris, and I'm not giving financial advice, and it's important to stress that, this is a podcast for education and information and hopefully a little bit of entertainment along the way. It's definitely, definitely not meant to be a place of financial advice. We dispense on here principles that we believe you know, are fundamental, like the principle of understanding where you've, what you've got, the principle of understanding how it works, and the principle of understanding how you get leverage on it. So that's a long way of saying there are many clients in our community grids who've wrestled long and hard with the final salary pension as well and have taken the steps to seek and take control over that money and dramatically improve their lives and their value of the legacy way, way, way more than the pension they would have had had they left it with their employer. But that's for them to tell. Um, and as always, you know, this is not advice. It's just simply me saying, hey, listen to what people are doing and think about what's right for you and make your own mind up. Uh, I had already some money into the SAS uh, pension kitty and um, at Kevin's request, he said, are you sure everything's in there? Did you have any other any other funds anyway, the money? I thought, no, no chance, I said. But I thought that prompted me to maybe actually go and have a look. So what I did, I had a happy Sunday afternoon going through um, some files we've got uh, here, obviously with all the accounts and past accounts and all the rest of it. And um, we're going through the old old pension files, and I found stuff which was already there. Then I found one from one pension fund, which I thought was in there. I did a check in the SAS kitty, that is. I did a check and found out it wasn't. And in that, I thought, wow, this looks good. And um, so I contacted the pension fund after that and found out there's £100,000 in there, the value, no, the transfer value. So, wow, wow. So uh, I notified Kevin. He was very happy. I was very happy. And uh, it went into the kitty after that worked for HBOS going back or 99 I joined the company until 2007 took voluntary redundancy and understood that it was actually a frozen was told that it was a frozen pension realized it wasn't a lot of money at the time um I even recall making a phone call through to them and they told me it was worth oh I don't know about 10,000 pounds at the time and that it was frozen so uh basically left it uh took met Kevin started talking to him and he um bet me 20 quid that it was going to be worth even maybe up to 60,000. Sure enough, got a surprise when I found out it's worth 255,000. So, um, yeah, huge opportunity for people out there, got no doubt. My word. So, we're talking a quarter of a million pounds there. Yeah, for basically, um, yeah, not expecting it at all. So, so, yeah, obviously a great surprise. That certainly is. Now, so what exactly was the process? Did you just go back to, obviously, you knew who the pension was with, you just called them up and you just asked them what the value was? Yeah, people believe it's a difficult process. Um, even since this, I've spoken to my sister about it because she worked at Midland Bank going back into the 70s and 80s and told the very same thing. So, you know, already um, I told her how simple it is because it's a simple case of national insurance number. Mm. And you give them a call and they trace it and you ask them for the, the value of the equity and transfer value. And, um, yeah, took five days. It's a frustrating wait, not knowing. But then when it comes through, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very nice surprise.
So you may be asking the question, what is a SAS pension? Well, SAS stands for Small Self-Administered Scheme, and it's a type of pension that's available to business owners, allowing them access to private pension funds before the age of 55. In episode 18, myself and Kevin dug a little deeper into SAS pensions. And that very slim edge that represents the balance between the two is something which is known as a member-directed scheme. In other words, instead of being relying on your employer, instead of relying on an insurer, you take responsibility for self. So it's no surprise that self-administered scheme or small self-administered scheme, I'll come back to that in a second, is about self. Now, this isn't about being an insurance company or being an employer. It's about being responsible for money, which you can now do something with. And that money, small self-administered scheme means, small means less than 12 people. In other words, it's designed to be operated by people and families and small businesses. It's not meant to be the massive schemes that you'll see you know, where there's thousands and thousands and thousands of members. It's meant to be managed and controlled in that way. So that's small. Self means you. Now, so in an insurance company, you know, it's the insurer who's responsible. They legally are the owner of the scheme because uh, a trust, which is pension, is always written under rules of trust. So there's some benefits of that, which I guess I'll come on to during the course of this session on pensions. But one of the huge benefits of trust is tax-free. And it's inheritance tax-free, income tax-free, corporation tax-free, capital gains tax-free. I don't know if there are any more taxes, Chris, but that's, you know, pretty tax-free. So it's a tax-free trust fund run by yourself or up to 11 people. So you can buy a big family together or a small business together. And scheme is just another word in law for pension. So small self-administered scheme means a pension plan run by the people who own it they take control and then they invest that money in the way that they think reflects their wealth dynamic reflects their past experience reflects the future direction of where they want to go and is a real incredible opportunity as i'm sure you'll hear from uh, the three um, participants today you know who shared their knowledge and their experiences chris they will have all learned something that they didn't know before. And this is a really key thing about how the SAS pension can work. It can facilitate your personal growth and an increase in your personal ROI. That's a return on your intellect. You become a smarter investor. It increases your financial ROI, your return on investment. And because you're building this and it's a trust fund, it never ends. So it means you can pass that on to the next generation and the one after that and the one after that. So you're building a, a, almost like a, um, a wisdom inside the SAS as you learn more and do more. And then you can invite your children and family members in from age 18. You have to be 18 to be a trustee. That's the technical definition of somebody who's a, who runs a scheme as a trustee. And while it all sounds quite complicated, it isn't. It's teachable, it's manageable for people who are serious about building their wealth because wealth is a business. Even in your mind, building wealth is like a business and a SaaS is a pension scheme that's run just like a business. And, you know, a business has 
a board of directors. A SaaS is a board of trustees. That's the same. A business makes profit on which it pays tax. A SaaS makes profit, but it's tax-free, as I mentioned, so that's pretty whizzy. And, you know, a, a pension or a company has to report to the Inland Revenue every year what they're doing. Um, and that has to happen in a SaaS. It's an annual reporting system. Of course, all these things are done. There's, there are people like us and, uh, and others who provide that support and that education and that training to make this highly, highly possible and interesting and pleasurable for people to get involved in. In episode 106 of Wealth Talk, we were very pleased to invite SAS Director at Wealth Builders, Mr. Paul Brooks, to talk about some of the different strategies that a SAS can allow you to do. Number one is using the money you've built up, and um, whether that's from contributions or whether that's from you know amalgamating existing pensions into your SAS and using it to support your business by buying your own business premises from yourself. So this is for existing business owners who've already got a business premises, but they're looking to um, perhaps change the, the way they hold their assets or make things slightly more tax efficient. And basically what I'm talking about is using the money they've accumulated in their SaaS, as I say, to, to buy their premises from themselves. Actually exchange the SaaS with the cash, buying the premises, so effectively switching the, the property and the money around. The business has now got an injection of capital into its bank account. It can use that money for anything it wants, and go out and buy more equipment or hire more staff or invest in new systems, you know, all those important leverages that that you teach so well in the academy, Chris. Um, But, you know, effectively what you've done then is take that commercial premises, plonk it inside the tax-free environment of the SaaS, and that creates a few things. It creates a new stream of income coming into the SaaS in the form of the rental income from the property. The business becomes the tenant and the SaaS becomes the landlord. So because there's a landlord and a tenant, the SaaS has to charge a rental income. It charges the rental income to your business. That rental income is a tax deductible expense. So not only are you generating a new flow of income into your SaaS, which is in a way kind of like a new source of contribution, you're also being able to offset the cost of that rental income against your corporation tax bill. Smart. Pretty cool, right? So just a very, very simple change. Nothing hugely sophisticated, but but just simply by shifting the way your SaaS and your business own things can, can really actually make quite a big difference to your tax position, to the growth and the value of your SaaS, which, of course, is, uh, is entirely free of tax and, uh, and is a tax-free legacy when you're no longer here. In episode 99 of Wealth Talk, we were joined by a very good friend of Wealth Builders, Mr. Mark Stokes. And Mark shared with us his knowledge from 25 years of expertise in business and property, as well as how he managed to double his pension in just two years. 
What was your relationship like with your pension for many years, Mark? Um, very, very clear on my relationship with my pension. It was um, it was about a three minute experience once a year of picking a letter off a doormat, um, looking at my pension statement and thinking, well, that's not very good. Hopefully, it'll be better next year. That was my pension management strategy. Not particularly proud of it, but that was my pension strategy for a quarter of a century. Um, but I come back to that mandate I gave to myself and and to my wife that we would take control of our personal economy at the end of 2014, 2015. And that included all aspects. And, you know, my pension I knew was one of the largest bank accounts that uh, I had, but I didn't have access to. Had absolutely no idea of SIPs and SASs at that time and alternative structures. Um, but you know, I was I was like a, a dog with a bone there. I, I needed to find a solution. I worked very quickly, um, but uh, you know, I like I like pressure. Um, I did a lot of due diligence, and in doing that due diligence, which took you know six seven months to work out what a what a SAS was, um, what a SIP was, looking at all the options, talking to people, it was very clear that there wasn't really one place to to go at that time. You know, wealth builders didn't exist then. SAS Alliance didn't exist then. Um, and there was only fragments of information out there. Um, so I, I drew that together and through my experiences uh, decided on on SAS. That was the, that was the thing to do way back then. Um, it was only after I'd set my SAS up in 2016 that I first met Kevin and um, so, you know, Kevin and I have had a you know, long-running uh, relationship and friendship over all things SaaS and wealth creation ever since then. But setting up a SaaS for the first time was was a big, big step for me, Christian, um, in taking control of that personal economy. I wanted to challenge tradition. I was ready to challenge tradition and taking control as being a, a trustee, and we have four trustees in our in our SAS, myself, Nigel, and our respective wives. That was a, a very big catalyst um, for us. And having taken control, you know, I wanted I wanted a very clear mandate. I wanted to play by all the rules, play by all the options that HMRC allowed me to do so. Um, so, yeah, it was it was invigorating to say the least. Listen to the lesson in there. Crumbs, 25 years, pensions wilderness, 25 years to build, double in as many months. That's just incredible, isn't it? That's almost an acceleration you just don't expect. No wonder he's excited um, about the subject of SAS and why he's such a keen sharer. Have you ever wondered what the real difference between a SIP and a SAS, two popular pension schemes in the UK, actually are? Well, in episode 133 of Wealth Talk, we covered the 10 key differences and answered all of those questions. Probably, you know, when you get a question that you get all the time, you know, when somebody says, if I, if I had a pound every time somebody asked me that question, you know, I'd be, I'd be rich. Well, this is the question I get asked, not quite every day, but several times a week. Um, and I got not quite fed up with answering the question because when you get asked the question, which is, Kevin, what's the difference between SIP and SAS? 
you know, awkward language, self-invested personal pension, SAS, small self-administered scheme. They're not sexy titles, no marketing prizes, no Brit awards for that. What you get is just boring pensions, but pensions are the mainstay and so tax efficient. Forgive the terrible titles. Think about compounding exponentially tax-free. And there's a huge difference between the SIP, which is probably 50 times bigger in terms of numbers in the UK, um, than the SAS. And, and I want to put right a myth that there are some myths purported, often by those who sell SIPs, uh, that they're better. And I just want to put that case, that there are 10 key differences, and I've enlisted the help of um, co-director um, Paul Brooks, you know, who runs the SAS program, um, and for he and I to have a really, really good dialogue. I think it's about 45, 50 minutes, Chris, if I remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, didn't I get you, you know, I get on my soapbox. I don't care how long it takes. If the message is worth giving, it's worth spending time on. So bear with us, guys. You know, it's a longer one. But if it's something that's important to you, you know, you, you've thought about it, you've heard somebody say the word SIP and somebody say the word SAS, and you think they're the same, they're not the same. SIP is different for a couple of reasons. And again, it comes down to control, but it's because with a SIP, the pension owner is never in control. Uh, the control is actually with the the company that runs the pension, the professional trustee company. And that means that they set the list of things that can or can't be done, not based on what the law allows necessarily, but based on what they feel comfortable with. Okay, so, okay, I'm thinking I'm getting that. So, so a bit like if the menu of what I can do where the SAS is just whatever the law allows pensions to do, mm-hmm. and the SIP is whatever the SIP trustee, the professional company who operate that, allow. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely Where's right. there a difference in investment then? What's the difference? Well, um, so with a, with a SIP, there are, I suppose, two main categories that most SIPs allow. Right. One is stock market-based investments, right. so collective funds and shares and, you know, a huge variation of different stock market-based things. Right. And some SIPs will also allow you to go out and buy commercial property. The single biggest thing that a SIP can't do, that a SAS can do, mm-hmm. is something that we refer to as borrowing, but pension rules call a SAS loan back. which in really simple terms is the ability for a business owner to actually borrow some of the money from their sons as a commercial. We're going to cover that point in access, I think, a little bit later Mm -hmm. on. So we'll get into a bit more. But what about the investment choice that I could make? You know, can I, is there some things that a SIP will let me buy that a SAS, or rather somewhere SAS will let me buy, but a SIP wouldn't let me buy. So can I buy a property and turn it into residential in a SIP? No, 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 that's not really allowable, no, because most SIP trustees aren't really comfortable with letting people do that. 
Right. Uh, okay. Can I can I lend to a third party with a zip? Occasionally, very occasionally, yes, it is possible, but it's much much more tricky, and and there are a whole list of ticks in a box that have to be fulfilled, which mean actually in the real world, it's actually it's it's quite difficult to do with the zip. Okay. So so in summary, then because we've got a lot to get through, mm-hmm. anything a SIP can do, a SAS can do. Yes, absolutely. But anything a SAS can do probably can't be done in a SIP unless it's buying stocks and maybe a piece of commercial, in simple terms. Well, there you have it. Hopefully you're a little bit more enlightened around the topic of pensions now and perhaps even excited to investigate a little bit further about what you might be able to do with your own current pensions to make them work harder for you. And if you have any questions at all, please do reach out to us at Wealth Builders. We would be so happy to help you. And there's a couple of ways that you can do that. You can either drop us an email, hello at wealthbuilders.co.uk or join our free Facebook community. Just head to Facebook, search for Wealth Builders. And uh, that's pretty much it for today's episode. You'll be pleased to hear that Kevin is back in the hot seat again with me next week. So until then, see ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.